not really have to move because then you will be called to have help. <laughs> <laughs> Saul at that time is one of the 
there that does not only consent to it, he's standing by and watches him. And the whole event is that inspiring to him that he actually goes back to the high priest and asks them for the opportunity to go and chase more Christians. So Paul gets his request granted from the, uh, from the high priest, and he's on his way to Damascus trying to find people who have bought into this Christian idea, and this whole idea for him is to grab them, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and ultimately for punishment. Now we're familiar with this part of the story, most of us are. At the moment he's on his way, the road to Damascus, when all of a sudden a bright light and an audible voice grab his attention. They knock him off his horse, and he hears the voice of Jesus asking him, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? Blinded by them, unable to see, he's being led to Damascus. And as a result of his repentance, he is becoming a Christian. Three years go by, from 33 to 36 AD, in which, the, in which the Apostle Paul goes to Arabia, and where he is by divine revelation taught by Jesus Christ himself. You can find it in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. It was not up to this point that Paul's ministry truly began. And in the remaining 30 years of Paul's life, he made four big mission trips. I brought a map just to kind of show you a little bit of the scope of how big and how far his travels took him. A lot took place in Asia Minor, in the area around Greece and around Turkey, but he made it as far as to Rome, and some people even think that he made it as far as to Spain. Well over 10,000 miles he traveled, and you can only imagine in, during, during those days that that was a heck of, a, of an achievement. He started at least 14 churches that are documented in the Bible, although estimates go even higher than that. And he wrote at least 13 books, the majority of the New Testament, in which he laid a strong theological framework in which the church could find its identity, express itself, and expand. And it was this framework, Paul's framework of theology, that protected the church from false teachers, from cultural and political pressure, and from all-out persecution. Now, how did he do this? What can we learn from the Apostle Paul? Why was Paul so effective in his ministry, and how was he able to make such an incredible impact on the church. And how can we, in return, make sure that our lives have a lasting impact as well? I think that the answers to this question lay in Paul's teaching on the body of Christ. So I want to invite you to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from verse 4 all the way to verse 30. And I would 
actually, if you're able to, I would like you to stand as, uh, as we read. At the end, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond back to me. Praise be to God. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of servants, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit. It is made up by many parts. And though all parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. All and, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. But, but, but now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason to cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with great honor. And the parts that are unpresentable uh, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body, and has God given even greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues? The word of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing, and perhaps the most 
is that Paul's, Paul explains that we are part or members of the body. Jesus is in his picture the head, and he owns us. He leads us. He is not just the head on his own. He is the head with us as the members. In the passage that I just read, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he, he writes, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts of one body, so it is with Christ. A couple of chapters before, in chapter 6, he writes, do you not know that you, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? In Ephesians, he writes, for we are members of his body. And in Colossians, the same apostle Paul writes, and he is the head of it. That he is the head of the body, the church. Now, why is this important in regards to the success of Paul's ministry? It is important because Paul starts from the premise that it was never his ministry to begin with. You see, Paul's ministry, Paul's teaching, Paul's mission, Paul's evangelism, were first of all God's teaching and God's mission and God's evangelism. This is really no different for you and me, Pastor James. Raising our kids to love Jesus is not just our mission. It is first of all God's mission. Leading a small group to a deeper level of discipleship is not just your task as a small group leader. It is God's task. Taking the good news into Mexico, Ethiopia, Sri Lanka, Guatemala, and this coming season, this summer, into Burundi and Rwanda is not just the mission of the Church of the Nazarene. It is, first of all, God's Serving at a rescue mission is not just our service, it is God's service. Now, let me make this clear. This is not just a matter of semantics. It truly changes the way that we view God, the world, and our role in it. When we realize that we are not just a body part on a mission of our own, but that our contribution is only significant in submission to and under the authority of God, we will live different lives. We will become more fruitful in our endeavors. We will become more secure in our ministry. We will even become more comfortable with our failings will be more at peace in our times of need. And we will be less boastful about our success because it's really never of our own doing anyway. You see, this kind of life, the life that the Apostle Paul lived, does not start with great personality. It does not start with a rigorous education. It does not start with talents or even spiritual gifts. It starts 
comes from realizing that we, you and I, are mere partakers, body parts to be used by God to further his mission of reconciling the world to himself. Now, please take note to this. Obedience is the starting point in all of this. If there is one thing I hope that you will get this morning, it is this very simple idea that all of us live under the lordship of the same God who expects full obedience from all of us. Jesus is the head. We are the body. The second thing that Paul makes clear in his teachings on the body made it so successful in ministry is that he understood that unity was not just something that would be nice, that would make his life as a missionary more pleasant, that would make the church more or more fun place to come to. Paul saw a lack of unity, not just as something that impacted human-to-human relationships, within the church, but he realized that it impacts, first of all, our relationship with God, and thus, our effectiveness in ministry. If you and I do not get along in this church, it is not just something between the two of us. Mm. It impacts both our relationship with God but it also impacts the collective relationship of the body with God. If the foot and the eye have a beef together, <laughs> the entire body is limping around, unable to see it. That in turn makes all of us, the entire body, less effective. Our ministry. Paul writes in verse 25 there should be no division in the church. But that its part should have equal concerns for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now, to make things even worse, you don't even have to have an argument or a disagreement with somebody in the church for this to happen. Not carrying out your God given call do the same thing. Paul writes, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now let me pose this question. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered that the reason why this church might be limping instead of running is because you or I not carrying out our God-given role within this church? Have you ever thought about this? That this church might be limping instead of running because you or I are not carrying out our God-given calling. Now this goes directly against everything we stand for as Americans. And I am very proud that since two years I can include myself in this a group of people because I got my citizenship about two years ago. But this is what we stand for, right? Individuality. 
personal responsibility, privacy, <coughs> being masters of our own domain. But Paul reminds us, Paul tells us that when it comes to carrying out your ministry, it is first of all the head's business, Jesus' business, but it is also the entire body's business. You see, if you or I, and I'm very careful to make sure that I constantly include myself in this as well, so if you or I are disobedient, if we forsake to carry out what we were ordained to do, it is not just something between you God. The body has an obligation to address this. Not, let me make this clear, not because you are a sinner and we are not. No, Paul makes abundantly clear that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. No, to protect the mission and the ministry of the church, of his body. To make sure that this body is not wandering around blind or dead or without a head. The third thing that Paul points out in his teaching on the body is that we depend on each other. Now, that's obviously closely related to the concept of unity that I just talked about. But when it comes to carrying out ministry within the church, the sum is always greater than the part. Even outside the church we have experience with this, right? I mean, we see this in great companies or other organizations that we admire. We see it in the animal kingdom as well. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I just brought a commercial from a Belgian, Belgian uh, bus line to kind of illustrate the concept of that we are truly a lot better together than we are on our own. So, I hope you Hold on. sound.
probably a welcome change of pace for my boring sermon. It also illustrates what Paul writes. He says, we submit to God and one another in the body. We become more than just a group of people. We become an entirely new entity, kind of like the ball of ants called the body of Christ. An entity that you and I depend on, that feeds us, that teaches us, that serves us, that disciples us, and that from time to time disciplines us. But where we also teach, where we also protect, where we also feed, where we also disciple, where we also discipline. You see, in this body we will be both the givers and the receiver of God's divine grace. The last part that Paul teaches by means of the body analogy is that we are all uniquely equipped. We are all uniquely equipped with different spiritual gifts or special abilities, whatever the terminology is that you want to use to define it in verse 7 to 11. Now let me point out a couple of these things, a couple of things on the spiritual gifts. First of all, God is the one who distributes these gifts and gives them as he sees fit. In verse 11, Paul writes, these are all work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. That means that you or I do not get to pick our spiritual gifts. No less than we get to pick our gender or the color of our skin. The second thing that Paul points out is that everybody has at least one spiritual gift. We do not have all the gifts. In a rhetorical question, Paul asks, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all determine? And the resounding answer to this rhetorical question is no. That is why we need each other. Another important thing that he brings up, all gifts are of equal value. All gifts are of equal value. On the contrary, Paul writes, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The gifts that you and I get, those divine spiritual gifts, are to be used for the common good, not just for our own pleasure or joy or benefits. He writes in verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now knowing your spiritual gifts, knowing your spiritual gifts and using them in the proper place within the body, to the glory of God, is a part of being a disciple, a follower of God. If you are not sure what your gifts are, I would strongly encourage you to talk to Pastor James, Pastor Aaron, or myself. We are more than happy to help you assess them. 
But Paul knew that everybody in the body had a unique contribution to make. The people in those early churches were not just helping Paul to accomplish his goals. They were not employees or even volunteers. They were partners in carrying out God's mission in the world. Just coming to church was not an option in Paul's world. The idea that the church just exists to feed its members is unbiblical <coughs> and theologically incorrect. Paul recognized that every believer, no matter where they were old or young, whether they were mature or brand new, Believers had a unique role to play within the church. A role that could only be carried out by that one person. In the spirit of John F. Kennedy, Paul encouraged all believers to not ask what the church could do for them, but what they could and should be doing for the church. You see, the church universal, the, the purpose of the universal church is to carry out the Great Commission, to glorify God. The purpose of the church of the Nazarene is to make Christ like disciples in the nation. This requires action and participation, not just consumption. Staying within the walls of a building, huddled together with our own crowd, is just not cutting it. It's really no different for you and me today. We are not just here to be fed or taught, although Pastor James does an excellent job in both of those things. But we are here, first of all, to fulfill our God-given role within the body of Christ. Now let me make one thing very, very clear. That your unique role is as important to the proper functioning of this body as that of Pastor James. Let me, let me repeat that. That your unique role is as important to the functioning of this body as that of Pastor James. Now, the Apostle Paul had the spiritual gift of teaching. There is no doubt about that. But I think he had another very strong gift as well that is often overlooked, which is the gift of administration. We saw last week that after Pentecost, the church exploded. Literally thousands of new believers were coming in with no real background on how a church was to function, what to do, and how to interact with each other. They needed to go somewhere from here on. Now, things that explode quickly tend to implode quickly as well, but not so with the church. Because the early church, under the leadership of Paul, new believers were made aware of and brought into something that was bigger than themselves. They served under the Lordship of Jesus Christ himself, not under any man, not even Paul himself. 
they knew that they had to protect the unity within their church. Not so that it would be more enjoyable for them to come to church, but they realized that how well connected they were as a church and as people with each other had a direct effect on the health of the overall body and its ministry. And they were willing to protect this even by means of discipline when needed, whether they were the giver or the receiver of it. They felt very valued and important since they knew that they had their own special contribution to make to the body. They had their own role to play within the church, a role that could be fulfilled by nobody else but them. They knew that the church needed them as much as they needed the church. Now Paul, like I said, started many new churches. 14, some estimates go as high as 20. And while starting this many churches is an incredible feat in its, on its own right, what is actually far more impressive is how many daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters were burdened from those churches. When Paul left the earth at the end of his life, he only did not only leave 14 to 20 church plants, but he had left the DNA of a movement that would eventually spread to, ex to such an extent that even the Roman Empire itself would surrender to Christianity. Now this morning we will be celebrating the body of Christ through, it's the first of the month, but it also we have made the vision as a church that through this Easter season we, we are going to come to the table on a weekly basis instead of on a monthly basis. So we will be taking communion this morning. Now in taking communion we commemorate <coughs> Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. We also celebrate by taking the elements Jesus' second coming, his coming again. But this morning I want to ask you to celebrate something else. I would like you to celebrate that during the time in between Jesus' physical body on the cross and out of the tomb, and Jesus' physical body returning, there is another other body of Christ at work. A body that is made up by all of us, by you and me and other believers around town and around the world right now and in all of history. A body that should be glorious and wonderful and quite a spectacle for the world to see. A body in which you are a member. A member that operates under the authority of Jesus himself. A member that has the ability to affect the overall health of the body, both positively and negatively. A member that is commanded to work and to live in harmony and in unity with the other members. A member that has his own 
very unique role to play. Besides celebration, and we definitely want to highlight this in the Easter season, but besides celebration, communion is also a great time for reflection and confession. So when you take of the elements, I would like to ask yourself if you have taken your proper place within this body. Are you using your gifts to live out life that God has called you to live? Or are you shortchanging this body and in a real sense shortchanging yourself by coming up by reason after reason as to why not? Do you have issues with people in the church? Paul reminds us that impact is bigger and deeper than just for yourself. Confess it this morning and ask for forgiveness and start working towards reconciliation. Have you been disobedient to God's call in your life? This does not have to be all out rebellion, just not moving will cause the same spiritual damage. Mm. Repent and move forward. But do you want to serve and you just don't know how and where? Please talk to one of the pastors after service. They will love to work with you on this. Lord, I just want to thank you for this local body, first of all, for the fact that you have designed it in accordance with your own will, that neither James nor I are truly responsible for the people that are here, but it is first of all your responsibility. Lord, you have given an incredible amount of gifts to this church, just listening to Song, Psalm 23 this morning, hearing Wilson's song saying, just reminded me of that, how blessed we are as a church with all the different gifts that you have given us. But the reality is that there are some gifts that lay dormant in this church. Often, I myself fail to fulfill your will and your call. But all the reasons sound so good most of the I'm too busy, my work, my family, and although those definitely have their proper place, sometimes my arguments actually end up in all-out disobedience to you. And Lord, for that, I want to ask you to forgive me. But I'm sure that I'm not alone in this world. So this morning, we just come before you as a collective body, and we're asking you not only rekindle those spiritual gifts, but also our desire to put them into use in your body. Lord, I know that your dreams for this church are big, probably bigger than the ones that we have had, that we have ever had in this church. But you depend on us to carry that out. Not because you're an incompetent God, but because you have chosen this as your way to do yourself. So, Father, help carry that out. For those of us, Lord, who don't know what our spiritual gifts are, 
or for those of us who have not been able to find a place where we can really plug into the church, we open doors and open ways for them. A word for us in leadership of the church it will help us to understand that the role of everybody in this church is as important as our own. That we don't get blinded by the fact of hierarchies and things like that in the gospel home. Let us rejoice in the victories of other believers. Help us to encourage Thank you.